Welcome to Asray Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we talk street diets, bicycles, and 15-minute cities with Polly Schildiga, the driving force behind the Asbury Park Complete Streets Coalition, and in his first encore appearance, Asbury's own transportation maven, Deputy City Manager Mike Manzella. Welcome, Polly and Mike. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the Deputy Mayor of the City of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Welcome, everybody, to Asbury Pod. It's November 17th, and I'm back with my co-host, Joe Walsh. Hello, everybody. Joe was on a break last week, so we could interview some... um, Well, Joe was on a break last week, and we, me and Michael Cook interviewed um, three really amazing um, drag queens who talked about what it's like doing drag during COVID, which is, um, you know, really different. Uh, than than what they're used to. So I just want to shout out to all of them, Lady Celestine, Red Rum, and Jolena Jasmine. Um, And today we are here with one of my favorite city employees. (laughs) Um, And and we are here with the head of Complete Streets, Polly. And we're going to... um, let you guys kind of introduce yourself a little bit. And Polly, we're going to probably ask you some questions about like what brought you to Asbury. Um, you know, people just kind of tell a little bit of their story about, you know, either a lot of people grew up here or came here as a teenager. Um, and good to see you, Joe. Nice to see you. You know, this is the second time we, you know, Mike Manzella is with us and Mike was Mike our most listened to po- uh, episode. At one point he was, but he eventually got beat by Hannah Walker, uh-huh. which I'm still jealous about. <laughs> yes. And then I have to but tell I you, maybe Car- uh, I, I have to check again. Um, O'Toole or Ocean Ave. I got to look. He, he, he definitely was beat. And, and, you know, and I can never say this to his face because um, I would never want him to know this, but Dan Jacobson beat you, Manzella. Oh, really? Got, he got a tremendous amount of listens. And I think part of that was, you know, people don't know him. So, you know, they read, you know, they read his paper, they read what he writes um, and they don't know him. So when I did that podcast, that was, um, yeah, he got, he, he was for some period of time, the second highest number of listens, but I think both of them, I think have been blown out of the water by O'Toole uh, um, Carolina tool. Um, but don't quote me on that until I, until, cause you know what, we have to count the listens from the website, from Spotify, from Google play. And I feel like there's a third one and then do the math to figure out who has the most listens. So Mike, 
this is your chance to make your comeback. <laughs> I'll do my best. No pressure. No I'll pressure. I'll do my best to make that happen for you, Mike. Yeah, probably wrong too. So. And Mike, I think, is the only uh, guest who's ever repeat. Right, Joe? No, we've had, we've, we've had a couple. So. Oh, we have had a couple repeaters. Mm-hmm. Huh. That, okay. That's okay. Yeah. yeah, we've had a couple. And we'll talk about that later because right now I'm going to butcher the names of... Um, and forget one person because I'm having a, a moment, but so I don't want to say it and make it worse, but I'll tell you who they are. Okay. Okay. Polly, do you want to talk about a little bit? When did you come to Asbury park? What brought you here? We have a joke all the time that turns out to be true more often than not, which is bankruptcy or breakup has brought yeah. all of us to Asbury park. It, that doesn't exactly apply to me. Although I did get divorced about 15 years ago. And that's when I met Michael on match.com. Um, me and my six kids and Michael with zero kids. And so that's been a matchup. That's been an interesting, um, you know, continuing union for 15 years. So um, Michael puts up with me and all my kids. And um, we eventually, we bought the house that we're in now about five years ago after migrating in this direction, my daughter, Anya, who has a a little group singing, uh, she and her husband and another uh, musician, she sang at Chico's house of jazz. Um, she was their first person, first person on the stage with um, singing some some blues standards. And um, so we started to really get interested in, in heading down this direction after my youngest child finished high school. And um, so we rent, we rented an Interlaken for two years, rented in Asbury right next to Trinity Church for two years. And that's how we got involved in the social justice stuff there. And then um, um, and then bought this house. And so, yeah, so it's, it's not a breakup or a bankruptcy. It's kind of a nice story. And, um, and I'm, you know, I just feel it's great. It's so, it's been a wonderful welcoming experience showing up here as a, you know, an older woman from Rumson and jumping into some things and being completely accepted and welcomed. And it just, you know, Michael too, it's been great. And that's, that sounds kind of schmarmy, but it's really true. It's been a great experience. And was this a place that you came a lot prior to that? Like, you, were you one of these people who, yeah. whose parents brought them here? Or well, I actually did get the ring off the carousel when I was a little girl, and I lost huh. a bathing suit in in the, one of the lockers. My mom almost killed me, but I was you know, I was like six or seven, and um, so yeah. I mean, I had I had memories of Asbury Park. I took the bus from Asbury Park to Atlantic City for one of my summer jobs, where I worked in a crappy hotel. And my father was horrified dropping me off at the Asbury Park bus depot. And um, but that was kind of it. I mean, but then I was always intrigued and, and I was aware of what was happening here. And it it was where I would want to, I, I, you know, living in a in a suburb like Rumson felt so confining, but it was a great place to raise six kids, good schools, you know, it was safe and um, could leave my purse in the car unlocked overnight. Um by accident. You can't, you can't do that as well. not anymore. That's for sure. But back in the day and, um, you know, so it, it was, it was, you know, very white bread and, but, and, but I felt the draw to be someplace where it was just going to be alive and not to downplay, you know, people live in Rumson and love it. It's just not where I felt like I wanted to be. And I had lots of initiatives that I started while I was there, but nothing that, I don't know. It doesn't feel like this. That's for sure. This is, it's just been just great being in a small community where we can walk everywhere. We know people it's, it just feels like home. It's where that South sounds so saccharine and, but it's true. So. And and you're telling a similar story that we've heard over the years and, and Joe Joe and I have known each other for a long time. We both lived in the Santander in the 
earlier 2000s. Um, so you, your description is, you know, I think I describe it as I came here to look for a place because it was still cheap back then. Um, and the minute I came, I was like, this is this is home yeah. for me. And yeah. Mike, you probably, I don't know if we asked you this on your first podcast, but what brought you down here? Well, I know I, the job. I think we did talk about it. Yeah, when I when I got hired here, I, I ended up moving here. But it's a place that I had come to a lot over the past, I don't know, 10, 10 or so years um, to visit, to go to the beach. And, um, you know, as a kid, I grew up in Kingsburg, which is not too far from here. But it's and still... And they're making a big comeback, Kingsburg. Yeah, I, I mean... I kid you not, my friend Joel Potter's like, we all need to be buying in Kingsburg. It's a very sort of similar story, honestly, to Asbury, uh, maybe 10 years ago. But anyway, um, you know, and it's a similar kind of town, um, you know, very small, dense, walkable grid. Um, you know, I rode my bike as a kid all the time to my friend's house everywhere um, by myself. So, you know, it's a similar town. And, and But still, Asbury, you know, when I was growing up in the early nineties, it was like, we didn't, you know, that, that wasn't a place that mom wanted to bring us, you know? So, um, but we've come full circle, right? Yeah. And the, the reason I want to just describe to our listeners, we wanted to have you both on is because Polly started the Asbury Park Complete Streets. And while Michael's our um, deputy city manager now, um, you, you still, you know, work in terms of the transportation, but you were our transportation manager or director. I never get that right. Well, it was manager and then director. And I still technically am director too, kind of overseeing all the transportation initiatives, but hopefully maybe someday we will hire someone else to help out too. <laughs> I will um, plant that seed, Mike. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, do a little bit of both and work a lot with Polly and the rest of the Complete Streets Coalition on a number of initiatives over the last four years. So, and I want to, yeah, I'm not the only founder, um, you know, not the director of Asbury Park Complete Streets Coalition. It, it, um, well, tell, tell us the story. How did that form? That How did it come that, about? Yeah. Um, so in, in, um, October 2015, there was an article in the Sun about the, um, that the city had written the resolution to reject the the DOT plan, and for the for the Main Street Road diet, the Main Street uh, Route seventy one reconfiguration, and we know we know now we didn't know at the time right away, but that that DOT came in kind of on the spur of the moment after having I may be sort of off on some of this, but having spoken to a previous council and then came in and said, "Here, we're doing this now," and it was without a whole lot of um, backstory to explain what was going on. And it sounded like it was going to be Carmageddon. It sounded like it was going to be a terrible idea. And then, um, so a, a few of us got together, Doug McQueen, Pam Lamberton, myself, um, and some other people who are no longer involved really, but the um, the effort that we made to, to I guess, to bother and and nudge and and also to educate the community about what, a road reconfiguration would be and what what driving at 45 miles an hour doesn't enable people to uh, to stop and look around. It's dangerous. It, it isn't a street that's a, a thoroughfare that's walkable. So we 
we came kind of came at the city council. Amy, you were there. I mean, we came at you really obnoxiously in a lot of ways. I was going to say a little aggressive. I know. <laughs> a little aggressively. I, know. I think we we felt. I mean, we learned a lot along the way about communicating, and um, and being advocates. But at that moment, it seemed like if we didn't jump on it. Uh, like really aggressively that DOT would take the money and go away and not come back. And, um, and that didn't happen. And within a relatively short time, I think it took like a little over a year, 18 months for all of you guys, the city council, and the mayor to literally turn around and so willingly um, come to the decision to rewrite the resolution, to accept the re- reconfiguration, which is almost finished now. And, um, and does have. And it wasn't, I'm just going to say one thing, it wasn't just us. So you, we had the the initial resistance. And Mike, you were were you here for that? Or was this before your time? It was before my time, really. Okay. So we had a lot, and this was, you have to refresh my memory, Polly. That was 2015 or 16? 15. Yeah, right in there, like 15 to 16. 15 to 16. And we had also, it wasn't just Asbury. We had uh, departments who were uh, felt very strongly against against a road diet, you know, my, my recollection is it was DP, D, uh, DPW and specifically fought DPW and fire. Please didn't love the idea, but I don't remember them being quite as vocal. Amy, I want to, I want to stop you there because we've used yeah. this term twice. So for people who are listening, what do we mean when we say road diet or road configuration? So, because okay, like, that was the headline of, of Dan's paper recently. So I just want to, you know, it's a term that gets thrown around, but I, I you know, for the lay person, maybe we don't know what that is. So Mike, I'm sorry. Yeah, I can, I can explain it. So it's it kind of is what it sounds like. It's a skinnying of the road, right? So a traditional road diet in the most traditional sense of the term is taking a four-lane street and making it a two-lane street with a turn lane in the middle. So basically going from four to three. And then with that extra space, what normally happens is you have space for bike lanes. So that's what we're going to have here. So. Right. So, sorry, Amy, I didn't, because I, I, I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Listen, I I, was I, like, when this was, was happening, <laughs> we didn't, we had no idea what it meant. Yeah. I didn't like, know what it was what, either. Yeah. yeah, like what bump outs were. We were like, what? what's a bump out? I, so, so it was the council was resistance. You, you had a number of departments that were, that were worried about safety issues. And then you had a number of old time businesses. So my, my recollection, Polly, and, and you would remember better than me, like, um, the hardware store, which is historic here, Vaccaro, San Vaccaro, um, real, real opposition, you know, and and yet, and when you have businesses that that have made it the period of time that some someplace like Asbury Hardware has made it, meaning the good through the through the bad times and and hopefully now into a little bit of the good times, but um, you know, you're like you you, pull, you know you have to pause a little bit. Yeah, it's been. I mean, for those businesses, their concern was parking for their, for their, um, you know, their patrons. And uh, TJ's Pizza was another one. I, I rode my bike in a yellow ski jacket up and down Main Street, stopping to meet with every every single business owner that I could meet up with, to to give them flyers, to give them information, to sit down and talk. Um, and uh, and everybody was really receptive except for those two. And it, but it took a long time because people were, you know, they didn't want to talk to me. They didn't, they didn't care what a road diet was. All they knew is that they needed to park and they needed to be able to drive as fast as possible up and down main street. So um, when they learned what it would be about, that it wouldn't slow traffic down um, the narrowing of the road doesn't take away asphalt. The asphalt's all still there. It actually smooths traffic. It moves more smoothly. And um 
calms the traffic because it feels narrower and it makes people drive a little bit more carefully. So I think, um, you know, as you're saying, the fire department, the police, everybody has come to realize that it's it's really working. And I don't know about Sam. I every time he saw me, he just turned and walk away. So I don't, I don't know. Well, I haven't, I haven't popped in lately, so uh, I don't know. But I will tell you, I don't get any of the complaints that we assumed that we were going to get. Um, and it's really, Mike, and you correct me if I'm wrong. It's really about restriping more than more than anything else. It's not like the road stays the same size. You just restrip yeah. it in a way. Well, yeah, I think there's two things that it really did. It, it makes traffic, and, and Polly kind of hit it right on the head, but also it makes it more efficient, right? So when you have two lanes of traffic in each direction, you have a left-turning car in the left lane, and then you have someone who wants to go straight behind them. So then they have to like, you know, quickly change lanes into the right lane to keep going straight. And it just causes a lot of like chaos and, and swerving and a lot of, um, you know, risky maneuvers. So by making it just one travel lane with the with the you know the breakout for the turn lane in the middle, it really makes it a more efficient um, traffic flow. And the other thing is, just upgrading the signals has really um, made that made the through time through the corridor uh, faster. So even though the road diet actually slows traffic down, like slows down the speed that a car moves, you actually get through Main Street faster now because the signals are timed properly. So you have, you know, you have basically a parade of green lights uh, ahead of you when you go down the street. Um, but traffic's going slow because there's only one lane of traffic. I don't know if that makes sense. It's unfortunate that the term, I mean, the term road diet doesn't sound good because nobody likes a diet. You know, it's, it sounds like a, a celery. Celery is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a restrictive thing and it's really not. It's, it's yeah. a, it's an unfortunate term, but I had to Google the heck out of it when I first learned what, you know, that there was such a term and, and, uh, and where it works, where it doesn't work, cities that hated it, cities that tore them out, cities that love them. So, you know, figuring all that stuff out and then how to, how to um, educate about it in Asbury Park. And that's, that's basically, that's how Asbury Park Complete Streets Coalition came to pass. And then Mike was hired not too long after that, after the, the decision to rewrite the resolution. And, um, and then- oh, I'm going to give Complete Streets a little bit more credit on this as well, in the sense that you all provided a dialogue. It, the, the, the aggression stepped back a little bit and we had a dialogue. And then you guys provided a report um, that went through all the good and the bad. But one of the things that, that was really good about this report or what was broken down was how these road diets can be beneficial to the businesses on the street. You may not make more, I forget what it was now, but it's like, you may not make more money, but more people stop in. And because they're not flying down main street to get to target or, or, you know, wherever, wherever they're trying to get. So I thought um, when, when we had that document that kind of, we could go through it page by page and go through it with fire and go through it with DPW and 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 with some of the businesses who opposed it, that made our lives, you know, so much easier. I can't, you know, I can't stress enough. Like a lot of times when we say no to something, anybody has the ability to change our mind. And and uh, um, you know, com- to to complete streets um, credit, they they systematically changed everybody's mind on the council. 
That's because that- I was a person who wasn't against it. But when I have police fire and DPW, it's like, oh, that document was great. Doug put that together really quickly. And it's called Building a Better Main Street. And I still have lots and lots of copies of it. So and I carry those when we do tabling at different events. I always have stacks of those to give out to people. Because people still don't know. It's amazing. And, um, you know, so the more I can educate, the more I can direct people to apcompletestreet.org. You can, t- you can type anything into that's the, it's a blog website that I've been managing since then. Um, you can type in anything that you want to know about, about Asbury Park, about tra- regarding, you know, mobility, transportation, micro mobility, scooters, bike shares, just literally anything that's happened in that realm. And I probably have something in there about it. Articles from everywhere. Um, I want to toss a softball out there just to why, why should we care? Like, why would we want to do this? You know, that's what a great question, because, you know, we know what happened, but you know, it, you know, and I think perhaps the, um, maybe the business owners, why, why mess with a good thing? We have four lanes coming through Asbury. You know, uh, so why would, why would we advocate for a road diet and a narrowing of the lanes? Amy's getting to it and making, making, she's made a couple of points that, um, Driving at 40, it's, the speed limit was 35, but people always drive 10 miles above the speed limit. So flying through Asbury didn't make our main street a destination. It made it just a thoroughfare to get to someplace else. So people were not stopping. You could you saw in 2016 what the business, um, you know, the atmosphere there was like. I think there were 21 boarded businesses. Um, I don't know how many there are now, but there, there are more and more businesses opening and businesses are doing better because people can stop. People can walk and they can, you know, pop in and out of stores safely. They, there's still an issue with people riding bikes and not sure that they can use the bike lanes or, you know, but, but the idea that people, the, the, the volume per purchase, per, per purchase or per person is not going to be the same, but the numbers of people coming in to do business will be greater. And I think that the amount spent or the amount of um, business is not going to decline. I think that there are some studies that show that the business actually increases when the street becomes more walkable. Mike, am I wrong or right about that? No, you're totally right. You're hundred percent right. And, you know, to, to build on that, I think another reason to do it um, whether or not, you know, Main Street created a physical divide, it certainly created the impression of a divide within our city. And of course, everyone knows, like, you know, the historic kind of divide east-west and and how that's impacted our residents. And, you know, having a four-lane highway through the middle of the city did not help to kind of bridge that gap. So unequivocally, I think now with the road in the areas where the road data is in place, you certainly feel like it's a more welcoming place um, that it's, you feel more comfortable crossing the street, um, because it's not a four lane highway. It's, it's more of a main street. Um, so I think that that was probably the biggest benefit of doing something like this is to kind of help to bridge that gap even further and make people feel comfortable crossing from one side to the other. So true. Anthony Fox was the uh, secretary of transportation of the U S department of transportation, um, prior to this administration. And one of the things that he talked about all the time was how cities were bisected by uh, highways, by, by roadways. And, and this is exactly the way Asbury Park appeared to me when I got here, that we have Memorial, where cars are you know stopping, starting, speeding, stopping, starting, speeding. We have train tracks and we have Main Street, which is a big divider between the east side and the west side. 
or it's not strictly east and west, but the southwest side. And and so if there was one way I felt that we could start to and all the businesses on Main Street, too, really needed a leg up. So that to me, the equity uh, part of it, making the city accessible to people safely walking and lots of people in the city don't own cars and they walk. To, for transportation, they ride bikes for transportation. So we're not just talking about the recreational bicyclist, you know, or the tourist, you know, la la la, riding their bikes down Main Street. We're talking about people who use the city streets uh, on foot or on on bikes, or when we had the scooters, they're they're moving about, and they're it's not it wasn't safe or welcoming. So, um, so I think this has been a huge step in bringing the city together. And I have said on several occasions that the a main street in a city is like the spine of the human body and, and it, and then everything that comes from it. So all of the side streets, the businesses, everything that comes from it will be healthier. If the spine is healthy. One more thing I want to add too. I mean, I think I talked about this on the last time I was on this podcast, but you know, the other, another big problem that we have obviously for our businesses is, is the amount of parking. You know, we're a city that, was designed before the automobile was invented. So of course, you know, we weren't set up to have ample parking available. Um, And Main Street is such a critical part of that bike network in the city. And, you know, the only way that we're going to really tackle the parking problem and make it, uh, you know, more comfortable for people who do drive to come in, but also for anyone else who lives in the city or outside the city to travel around the city is to have that um, network of bike lanes available so that there are other options besides driving into the downtown or driving to the waterfront or driving even to main street um, that you feel comfortable taking a bike, hopefully again, taking a scooter uh, or just walking around our city. So Uh, just to build on what Mike was saying, um, Asbury park being a 1.4 mile square city is, could be a model uh, following along it with bigger cities like Paris Uh, Anne Hidalgo, the mayor of Paris is getting a ton of press about what she's doing. And, um, She's the 15 minute city that that you can should be able to walk in 15 minutes to get anything you need in any city. And she's creating pockets in Paris where you can do that um, and walking and biking as as priorities. Barcelona is opening up their super block or adding more super blocks, which I don't exactly know how that works, but blocks where there are no cars and um, and London, Oakland, California. So there are cities everywhere in the world who are um, now, especially during covid beginning to see the 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 value in in the slow streets concept which we have temporarily helped disbanded open streets which we have on cookman and seeing the the value in keeping them permanently um, because these areas have become safer they've become more more vigorous more viable um, during the cold weather restaurants during covid are having a terribly hard time but we saw how how vibrant Cookman was during the time that when the weather was better. So um, hopefully this is. Yeah. It's following up on the 15 minute city. That's such a great idea and not to plug another podcast, but if you're listening and you want to learn more about it, Bloomberg business just did a, their podcast just did a nice discussion of the 15 minute city and you know, what are the implications for small business and growth and interestingly positive. Like, so, you know, from a business podcast, it was an interestingly uh, progressive, um, well, I shouldn't say progressive, like they were favorable to the idea or it came off in a favorable light. So it's an issue. It's a very, it's a fascinating, um, thought, but the one thing was interesting like, and Mike pointed out, you know, worked very well in cities like Barcelona and Paris, which were designed before cars, 
harder to implement in modern cities like Melbourne, Australia, which has spread vastly, you know, post 1950 and things. So, or, and I'm thinking currently having the last, before I, last travel I did before the lockdown was Atlanta. And if you've ever been in Atlanta, there's a lot of people in the cars and zero people on the streets, <laughs> zero. <laughs> and I was the only idiot on the street. Cause I was walking from the hotel to like, a, you know, things. And um, so I, you know, if you're thinking about this, like, I don't know how Atlanta could even do it you know, because there's these big highways everywhere. They're separating, they're not just separating neighborhoods. They're separating buildings from each other. There's four lane, you know, eight lanes between this building, this, uh, this corporate building and the one across the, the highway. So it's, so it'd be interesting to see how this plays out around the world over time. And yeah, but, and I think you're right. Asprey is a good, um, is, as a good, uh, target for that since we're so close anyway. The, 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 um, cities like, like Atlanta are, similar to cities larger and smaller all over this country where um, representing this, the way the suburbs grew, the way sprawl grew from it really to blame the auto industry. The idea was to get people away from the city center living in these idealized kinds of communities with streets that wind around, nothing's a grid and you have to get in a car to get anything. Mm-hmm. You can't walk to anything and everybody has to own a car. Then it became two cars. So it was everyone, you know, every family had one car. Then it came that became the two car garage. So it's, you know, the auto industry building this country the way that we have it now. We started out talking about how there are um, trolley graveyards in California, you know, so it, it's all that was before we started recording everybody. So, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so the trolley, yeah. the trolley story and Asbury, I, I only learned a couple of years ago that Emory was the straight shot, a trolley line across the city and that that little triangle at the end was the trolley turnaround mm-hmm. back, back down to the center of the city i never knew that where did you find that out that, that's pretty fascinating because i was when i walked down when i lived in the sand tender, i used to walk emory all the time and i was like this little triangle is very interesting and why is it here and nowhere else in the city and I'll tell you i learned that I, I run a monthly bike ride to plug another thing um the i i was off during covid but we had uh, we've had a couple of them uh, again and um mayor moore John Moore came along on a couple of them and Mike has come too. And we, one of the parts of the ride was to, we kind of wiggle around the city was to go over the bridge. We stopped there and took a picture. And John said, this bridge was a trolley bridge. And then he explained that turnaround, the the new bridge, but the old bridge, that was a trolley bridge. And yeah. So, and there's tracks on main street. I didn't know that somebody, somebody took a picture. Yeah, I've uh, I, I took a few bricks actually. Um, they were ripping up the tracks, and I think we actually—I don't know if we were successful, but we were trying to get some pieces of the trolley track itself to the historical society to, to keep oh, it cool. for a future museum. But yeah, I—you know—my office overlooks Main Street, and I was literally watching them pull up the trolley tracks as they've been doing construction. So Joe has been trying to get somebody to talk about the trolley tracks on this podcast, but you know, me and the one person who can really talk about it's me and Don Stein and we can't stand each other. So we have not (laughs) been able to find somebody else who could possibly talk about the trolley tracks for Joe. So there you go, Joe. Now you've finally had your conversation. Well, it's it's Mr. Rogers fault. I really always wanted to be on the trolley. It's like, where is it going? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Amy, correct me if I'm wrong. When we lived over by the Santander before, before they paved the road, weren't there remnants of the the tracks over there too, along Deal Lake Drive, or was it Park? I thought, or was it just the cobblestone? Definitely cobblestone yeah, on Park I'm, Ave. No question, because uh, a couple of residents who lived on Park Ave wanted the cobblestone preserved. 
Um, yeah, so, Dan, and Dan Jacobson being one was one of the people who called us about this cobblestone. They wanted it preserved at the time. I'm pretty sure the trolley ran down Main Street, then up Cookman to Ocean, ran up Ocean. I think I want to say to Fifth, you know, made left on Fifth and went up over the the bridge that's over Sunset Lake, which is now the Emory Street walking bridge. Mm-hmm. And there was the turnaround at the end of Emory. No, it's not um, wrong. Well, it's just the cobblestone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely was cobblestone. And and yeah. people really fought to have it preserved. But when we talked to, I don't know, like engineers or somebody, they were like, no, don't, you don't, don't preserve the cobblestone. Yeah, it messes up drainage when it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, no. So we had to call these people back and say, no, we're, we can't preserve it. But one thing I wanted to mention that Polly talked about was, um, was, you know, what we've done downtown, which, you know, I, uh, Polly and I briefly talked about this this week, but just that, you know, closing down streets was kind of this pipe dream. And if, if we had to, um, you know, I, I sometimes we try to talk about the good things, you know, what good things have happened from COVID. And one of the good things that happened from COVID was the shutting down of the streets downtown and really kind of expanding businesses outside and, and, you know, what was the, you know, similar to the road diet, there's people who love it and people who hate it. Right. So, or people who think they're going to hate it. And, and we absolutely had that downtown and, and I felt pretty comfortable saying, you know, about 87% of businesses or 85% of businesses really, really loved it and wish they had had more time to prepare, you know, we kind of shut it down to try to save businesses at Asbury Park and waived all of the cafe fees in the hopes that we can, we can keep this business community vibrant. But, um, you know, that was, that's a positive out of COVID because would we ever have shut that sheet, that street down if COVID didn't happen? Probably not. I don't know. Mike and I talked about it a lot. Every, every time I got Mike going, we would be like, yeah, yeah. We're going to do way before COVID, right? It's like, yeah, we're going to make it a walking plaza. That's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was always a pipe dream. I think, you know, we were kind of forced into it from COVID. And as you kind of said, Amy, like it was, it's kind of unfortunate that we had to throw it together. It's been sort of slapstick because it kind of had to be to, to save our restaurants. Um, yeah, and and some of the businesses had value. You know, listen, did, did did if you were a service business, did you love it? No, because they couldn't drive up to your, you know, business and go. Although Kathy Kelly's really a service business, and she did, but, um, you know, using her for in, as an example, if you were a restaurant, generally speaking, you loved it and and want to keep it through March. Yeah. And retail, I think, was a little hit or miss. You know, I think. Um, the bookstore loved it. And, and so, you know, I think, I think retail, it was, it was beneficial to, to parts of retail to be able to bring those racks outside and, and uh, people wouldn't have to go in your store, but it's been, a, it's been an interesting puzzle and bless Mike in trying to make everybody happy, which we have not been able to successfully do, but, it's- but yeah, it was oh, definitely, we have, we've tried, we've, we've tried. tried everything <laughs> and, and listen, it, I, I don't mind taking the angry phone calls, but I get angry phone calls from people who say, shut it down. I get angry phone calls from people saying, keep it open. So it's, you know, it's part of the job, but, but I think, you know, we have definitely learned a lot, a lot in the short amount of time that we've um, done the, the street closures. And we certainly learned that, you know, there's the nature of some businesses on Cookman maybe they don't belong in Cookman. I mean, <laughs> there's, you know, certain, I'm not going to name names, but there are certain businesses that operate businesses that don't really make sense for a main street. And, and they're kind of the ones who've been the most vocal about um, even continuing this beyond what it, what it is, let alone, you know, permanently in the future. So uh, we'll, we'll have to discuss that a lot more as time goes on. I always, 
Have you guys been to um, Michael and I traveled to to Munich right before COVID and uh, Marienplatz in Munich. Are you guys familiar with it's it's not unlike a lot of other giant squares in cities where for blocks around it, there are there's no driving at all. It's only walking and bicycling and gigantic stores and restaurants and um, gyms and um, the Apple stores right there. There it's it's a thriving business district and there are no cars. There is no parking and the businesses get their merchandise and they deliver their merchandise and they serve people. I don't know what it's like now during COVID because you can't easily go in and out of those, those businesses. Um, and it's getting colder. So how they're, how they're doing, I don't know. But when we were there, it was just such a beautiful thing. I mean, there are times of the day early, early, early in the morning or in the wee hours when deliveries take place um, in back alleys or hand carts are delivering things, but there, there was no lack of merchandise to be had. Yeah. The G- Germans and Austrians have had those Fußgänger zones, right. Uh, for, uh, you know, well, you know. well done, Joe. Hey, I did take uh, four semesters of German in college. And then so I got to use it once in a while. I, right. Well, I, I couldn't tell. So I, I, I didn't uh-huh. want to butcher it. I, I thought of it, but I thought that, you know, but again, that goes back to cities that were already existing, you know, in the 18th, 17th century. So they already had, they were built for pedestrians before. So they were just reverting to a natural state. So it's much, um, so the challenge I think is um, for us as modern cities, how to do this. And I'm thinking like when I lived in Charlottesville, Charlottesville, Virginia had uh, closed off their downtown mall when I was a student or prior to when I was a student there. And when I was there, it wasn't real active. There were some struggling businesses, but as the city has grown, I think it is, you know, that that economic corridor is now, that's a central feature of the town, right? You can, uh, but you still have to drive to that part of Charlottesville, put your car in a deck and then walk through that. But they have a nice little, you know, theater at restaurants and uh, shops. And so it's interesting, but, you know, if everyone, it's, uh, you have to take a risk, right? So it's a long time, long period of like, not great economic growth there. And then now it's a staple. Right. So you have to buy into the vision and sort of. uh, And I'm going to just jump on that and say, like, to the planning of it, we could I forget. I I don't know. um, uh, Parlor's block. What is that? The five seven hundred block seven hundred block. Like, you know, we couldn't buy Bonnie Reed, buy brick wall, like buy all of them by toast. They knocked it out of the ballpark with their, with their, you know, luncheonettes and their restaurants and they were great. And even the next block up had, you know, some retail, you had rebel supply and you had, you know, um, antique emporium who initially were not supportive and then brought all their stuff outside and became, you know, a big cheerleader for it. But to the point of like, we didn't have time to plan. We were just trying to save small businesses, you know, we never got the seven. We had so many ideas about the 700 block that it would be an artist space, that it would be book clubs would meet there from the book cooperative um, and we and and selling food marks and, and things like that. So we so, you know, I think if it's something that's going to happen in the spring and we're going to include that space that space has a lot of potential that we weren't able to realize. And we're actually doing the public art commissions doing a mural on, on that space right now. Um, but w- that space had a lot of potential that we couldn't just pull together in time um, for the types of activities we wanted to see there. Yeah. And I think as we go forward in the planning of this long-term, I think, you know, part of the challenge with that block too, was just 
partially COVID, right? So like the showroom wasn't open and now there's a new building under construction on the corner, which will bring new, hopefully a nice retail anchor. So I think, you know, the future is still bright for the 700 block. And one other interesting thing about the the closing down the streets was I initially was a big advocate for Ocean Ave. And then Russell and a number of businesses were like Stella, uh, just didn't and and and, it's, and Maryland. I, I think at some point Maryland vacillated. I think a little bit back and forth between closing down Ocean and not. But you know they were firm on no. They felt like let us see if we can get this outdoor space that we currently have up and running under the guidelines that the governor has issued. Um, and, 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 and fairly described a, a non-natural flow, right? There are steps up to all the pavilions. It's not, it's not the same as, you know, rebel pulling out a rack or toast pulling at a table. You know, you go down steps and, and, and there's kind of a separation there. So as an early advocate of closing Ocean, um, the businesses on Ocean at the end of the day didn't want to see it closed. I think that they thought that would that would put more harm to their business. Maryland did get to be positive about it, but I, I think that they may not. This might might be one of those cases where they don't realize how great and beneficial it could be because the side streets would still be open to parking, right? The avenues, and Ocean would be a walking, you know, walking plaza, walking destination, and that could enable the businesses to allow their merchandise to come out onto the street because they're not going to get run over by vehicles. You know, they're just, they're going to be able to use the sidewalk. They'll be able to use the street, um, you know, the parklet idea. So instead of having parked cars up and down ocean Avenue and traffic constantly moving, you'd have a, just a constant flow of people and exchange of merchandise and food and, you know, whatever. And most of those businesses, their front is on the boardwalk. They're, back is on Ocean Avenue. So you see their trash is coming out on Ocean Avenue. You know, they're, so they're not really doing business there now. Anyhow, if, if they were able to do business on that side, they might find that it's to their benefit, right? It's like one of those things, it's like, like businesses who didn't realize that, that the main street road diet would be great or that, that opening uh, Cookman to pedestrian traffic would be a good thing. They realize now that it is, um, you know, Sometimes it's and it's and Asbury is not unique in this. It's cities all over the place are trying to figure out how to make this happen, and they're diving into it the way that we did, and then stepping back, going, "Wow, we did this right. We did this not right. We did this. We could do this better." But they're continuing to move forward. Amy, I sent you that article from Outside Magazine that you probably didn't get a chance to look at, but I'm going to publish it on the website. It talks about all of this and how cities all over the world are making this work. They're they're diving in, stepping back, reworking, going forward to, you know, to, I think to all of us, we realize that, that there has to be a change. Everything has changed because of this. And we can see some good things that can come from it. Maybe the barricades on, on Cookman could be made to look more, uh, more welcoming. Than, <laughs> Less like barricades. Exactly. You know, and, <laughs> and, and, to, and to that point, Polly, honestly, we, um, we, we asked, like, I forget, was it OSHA if we could paint them? And they said no. So I don't know if you know the sewing guy. So there was this really amazing guy in town who had knit in the pit. 
And he had a knitting circle that got hundreds of people. So he and his crew were going to knit things to put over the barricades. (laughs) And he unfortunately passed away. Very, very unexpected lady. uh, Unexpectedly. Such a nice guy. Such a nice guy. But that was on our radar as well. And I should say, Polly is our first guest who sent us three pages of notes that I at least want to try to touch on all of these topics. Um, so Polly wins the, the note award. Most people like come on half come over and talk about whatever they talk about. But I, I, I wanted to talk about a couple of things that I know you're passionate about Polly. And I know uh, Mike's passionate about and that I've just um, become passionate about because I, 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 I love the bike lanes um, and I just experienced the one on Asbury Ave, which now Polly's told me is the protect, protected bike lane, which I didn't know. I didn't know why the bike lane was over there. I just, I, and first of all, I didn't know if it was a bike lane because it wasn't a normal bike lane. And then I, I saw that um, her and I had a conversation about this recently that, oh, these are protected bike lanes. And I know you're really passionate about bike lanes throughout the city. And I know Mike is as well. And, you know, where we've put them in Mike, just for listeners who maybe don't know and where we're going to put them in and um, you know, what protected versus unprotected means again, just for listeners who may not know, because I I didn't know what I was riding on when I was riding on it at the time. Uh, Do you want to take it? You want me to do it? Um, I'll tell a little story and then you can explain the technical stuff Go ahead. Uh, on the bike ride last week. I had um, no, not last week. It was David. What did you do the bike ride Saturday? Um, I had a group of 10 people and this is typical. This has happened before where now we have some bicycle riding infrastructure, meaning striped lanes. We have the stencils with the arrows on them. The, those are called sharrows, which means sharing arrows. But I was pointing things out to people on the ride saying, you know, here's where you, you have the legal right to ride on the roadway. This is a bike lane, but you can ride on the road. If you know where you can be, where you're safe, these are how to ride on a sharrow. People had no idea. They not really a clue. Not I had to text Mike and say this bike lane in the middle of the road, is that where I'm supposed to ride my bike? And he said, <laughs> Because I, 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 again, like I'm not an engineer, I'm not DPW, I'm not fire. You know, John Moore worked at, at DPW for 30 years. So I'm your, I am truly your average Joe who's like, I don't know who did this, but I really, really like it. You're not alone. I mean, it's, and so the New Jersey Bike and Walk Coalition just recently was um, successful in getting some bicycle educa- education for drivers about the rights of, for bicycles bicyclists. So um, drivers now, in order to get your license, you have to study the manual and learn this part of it that never was there before about the rights of people on bikes. So that's a new thing and it's a good thing. But still, if you know, those of us who've had licenses for a long time, we're not learning that. You know, people who just, you know, people who walk get mad at people on bikes. People who drive get mad at people on bikes. So it's basically the bicycle rider is a very vulnerable road user, but is the person that everybody hates. So trying I wanted to jump in there too, but what you said about the vulnerable uh, person, you know, I've started riding my bike a lot uh, recently and I love the bike lanes in Asbury. And, and I remember riding before them and I'd kind of forgotten how harrowing it can be without those lanes. And so I ride a lot from here to the beach and then I take Ocean Ave all the way to Spring Lake and Seagirt. Once you get onto the um, Ocean Grove, uh, uh, Ocean Grove, Bradley, Belmar, that road along along the beach is tight, you know, and pe- cars are very close to you. So you're, you know, you're not riding on the sidewalk to give the pedestrians room. 
Uh, so you're on that road and there's cars that are backing out. They have no idea you're there. Cause like you have the sideways, the, this, the front end parking on some streets and then, right. and then, um, so I, you know, maybe I'm getting too old, but recently I was just like, this is wildly dangerous on what is not a really busy street in the, in this, in, in the fall and in winter. Right. And there's not, but it's enough cars that you sweat it out because they are super close to you. Right. And, the, and that bike lane that we now have around Asbury, it, it provides a nice little, that's a lot of space for a bicycle. Um, and I, I, I love them. I think, you know, it transforms the experience of riding, you know, and make certainly I feel safer. I don't know if I actually am. I don't know what the stats are, but so I feel a lot more threatened riding along the ocean in the town south of here. You know, it's because there's no room. So that's it. You hit it on the head. I mean, complete streets, the concept of complete streets is all about making streets comfortable for all people from eight to 80. Basically, if you're an eight-year-old, you should feel comfortable riding your bike on the street. If you're an 80-year-old, you should feel comfortable riding your bike walking on the street. And protected bike lanes are a big part of that. So, you know, a normal striped bike lane may give you kind of the appearance of safety, but in actuality, you're still riding next to cars. So the difference with a protected bike lane is that it has some physical barrier between yourself and moving traffic. So for example, the, the, the little pilot that we did on the block of Asbury, basically that's a parking protected bike lane, which means you have the moving travel lane right next to it, the parking lane, and then on the inside of that, the bike lane. So the bike lane is between the curb and the parked car. So there's not moving traffic next to you. And those kind of, that kind of protected infrastructure is what makes, you know, everyone really comfortable to ride their bike. Exactly. So to build on that, when I was riding around with the people on the bike ride, um, there were lots of parked cars everywhere we went and there was a bike lane. And I was trying to explain to the, the people on their bikes that you're not necessarily safer because there's a painted stripe, pre, pre, you know, preventing drivers from hitting you. And if you're riding real close to the parked cars, which everybody kind of was doing, a car door can open. And then if you're the bike rider, you either are going to get hit by the car door, by the pat, by the driver door, or, or get, have to swerve into moving traffic. So educating drivers and people who ride bikes that you're actually safer further away from the parked cars and letting the driver who's on the travel lane see you. And because there, there are studies, Mike, you've probably seen these too, where they've, they've hooked the driver up with electrodes and I scanning things and thrown obstacles at them on both sides. The drivers almost, the, the numbers, the, the numbers are astonishing how little drivers are able to register anything other than other vehicles, mm -hmm. right? Other vehicles are visible, but a person on a bike right there is not. So it's called a windshield bias. So you're behind the windshield and all you see is something that looks like you in a metal box with wheels. So, and it's even worse, Polly, don't you think like everybody's worse during COVID everybody's <sighs> feeling more empowered to act exactly. more like an asshole, including drivers. It's yeah. like, it's it, that's, that's statistical. It's, it's totally true. There actually have been more, uh, more fatalities and more crashes when there was less traffic early on in COVID less traffic, but drivers knew that, that police were actually not going to bother stopping them because they were busy doing other things, or they didn't even want to come in contact with the driver hundred miles an hour, 
Mike, you, you know this too. These statistics are horrifying. Well, I know it from first person experience because we've had markedly more people calling, more residents calling every day about speeding on every street in the city. Um, and it's not just us. It's, it's happening all over the world, all over the country. 100. So I have to tell you, and my, so I'm doing door to door. And when we initially, so this is what was confusing for us. This was the strangest door to door that I've ever done. And I've run in a number of elections and I like doing door to door because it makes me know what's going on in the community. So, you know, I should force myself to do it more than when I'm running because, you know, I don't know how first Ave feels because I live on third. I don't know how. So when we're doing this door to door, people had a number of concerns. Many of their feelings were anxiety and depression about what's happening in the world. So there, there was a number of things that the council has no ability to fix. Right. <laughs> and it's also feeling we also have a low grade depression. So, so that was the one interesting thing. And, and, and having run in a number of elections where crime was the number one issue, where taxes was the number one issue, where uh, the lack of redevelopment back in 2013 was the number one issue for people, I can say top three unequivocally was speeding this year. And when I was trying to figure out what were people speeding more and, and what you're both telling me, yes, but people were home anxiety ridden, also staring out their windows. And I'm one of them. I went from window to window to window for months eating because (laughs) I had so much anxiety, you know, in March, April, and May. I just, I literally went from one window around my house and watched everything that took place outside. I could tell you when neighbors of mine were splitting because I saw cars stop coming. (laughs) <laughs> that, I mean, that's just what I did for three months. I've actually forgotten how to drive well. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being facetious. Like, you Same know, when with I, Heather. the first time I went driving after weeks, I was like, I was on the road. And I'm like, I shouldn't, I feel like something is wrong. Like my perceptions are off. It's been so long. So even now I still don't drive very much because I get to work from home and I'm isolating. But every time I'm on the highway, I'm, I, I've kind of forgotten how to drive, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe I'm more attentive because previously I was on autopilot, but, um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think we all were on autopilot. And uh, so going back to like driver's blind spots, I ride a motorcycle. I can attest 100%. They do not see, they don't see things that don't look like cars. Um, so even if on a motorcycle, I have a, I'll have a headlight and taillights just like they do, but just one. And for some reason that alone means I'm somewhat invisible. My greatest fear is always, you know, that not just the person turning left into you, like we would feel, but someone rolling into me at a, at a red light. It's very common for someone in a car to hit a motorcycle at a red light because they just, they don't yeah. even see it. So they're going to the line to stop, but there's a bike there that they just completely erase. Their perception is wrong. I don't think it's a moral failing. There seems to be some, something in the brain that hides that and bicycles. It's got to be worse off to the side. Might as well be on the moon for them. You're right. And you know what else you have to do pet peeves here, but the crosswalks like stop. Right. If, if we're crossing the street, stop your fucking car. So, like what part of the sign that says stop don't you see? Why am I pointing at the sign about to get in a fight with you because you're not letting us cross the street? That's like one of literally one of drivers just they, they roll right through stop signs. They roll right through traffic lights without you're supposed to stop when it's a right on red and they, they don't stop at all. So walking and riding a bike, Michael and I walk and we walk a lot of miles and we ride our bikes a lot of miles around the city all the time. We put our car in the, and, you know, park it and don't get in the car unless we have to leave town. And, um, 
And it's almost, it's routine. Every single walk and every single bike ride around town, there's an incident that is one of those almost incidents where, you know, we're standing, literally standing in the crosswalk and a driver's rolling right through as, as if we are literally invisible. And um, one guy, I mean, he was mortified. It happened a couple of days ago. He was so upset. He was going down Bond headed towards uh, Sunset. It's Bond, right? The Custer Sunset Park right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and we were on Sunset and he he rolled right into some, right into me and I kind of jumped out of the way. And um, and it's not unusual. And Michael got mad and yelled at the guy. And the guy was like, he really didn't see me. And I had a white jacket on and red pants. He just didn't see me. Other drivers are like, you know, they'll stop and go, OK, fine. Just, you know, they'll wave you on, like give you the courtesy of not killing you. And, <laughs> you know, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing thing. So so the the answer to it is you're never going to change driver behavior. It's just not going to happen. They, they blame texting. It's not even that. I mean, there's the whole wind, the whole, the whole uh, dashboard of new cars is nothing but distraction. And you have to touch it to change things. There's no buttons anymore that you used to be able to feel in the dark. Now you have to look at the screen to hit it. So there's so much going on inside the car and the, the driver and the, and the passengers are protected by new, by new car design. The people inside the car, there are fewer deaths of passengers and drivers, but more of people walking and bicycling because the cars are faster, they're bigger, and drivers are more distracted. So you can't change what's going on with the car, but what you can change is the built infrastructure, which is what we've been talking about. You can continue to work on, on protected bike lanes, not just with paint, but with actual ballers and things that prevent drivers from getting anywhere near the person on the bike or and walking big wide crosswalks leading pedestrian intervals and leading bicycle intervals which mike knows i've been talking about for a long time and i think we might be looking at for main street um where mike uh, is shaking his head for those listening to the podcast yes. yeah the leading bicycle <laughs> either in new york city and in other cities they um at the intersection, if you picture Main Street, if you're if you're a walker or a person on a bike, there would be a signal that shows a little green bicycle, meaning that if you're on a bike, you go. A little green person, that means you go. And the drivers are still sitting there waiting for the little green car to tell them that they can go. So the, the more vulnerable road users can get away from the cars. And that's really the best way to stay safe is to be far away, to get away from the cars. And then the other thing is to reduce the reliance on vehicles in the city like Mike said, is, is being able to um, create a city that's truly walkable and bikeable for everybody who lives here, who rides and walks because they need to, because they want to, and then enable people to like, possibly like we mentioned earlier, um, parking in, was it Charlottesville Mm -hmm. talking about park off site. And then you can get around the city completely without a car. Mm -hmm. That would be a dream. But that said, the parking garage is on hold now. Yeah, listen, the the city financially is, you know, and Michael say this parking was not our usually usual cash cow beach utility because we limited was not our usual cash cow. And, and, you know, I said this on door to door all the time, you know, we lowered the municipal taxes by 30 bucks just because we didn't, we're not trying to squeeze, you know, this is not the time to, to raise taxes. So financially, it is on hold, I believe it'll be back, you know, no question about it. But it, it's on hold while we just kind of figure out what the next six to eight months are going to hold. Like, are we going to have to, are we going to shut down streets and wave cafe fees again in the hopes that we can keep some of these businesses alive? And how do we support, you know, these residents who've been out of work, 
you know, we're using this CARES money to try to support um, for back rents and, and mortgages and businesses. But I have to get a couple of questions in and then I just, and then Polly, you can end it with your, you know, what Complete Streets would love to see, you know, in your ideal world would love to see next. But I have to ask you some questions that we ask everybody. And um, uh, you may have already said it early in the podcast, people and or places that are not here anymore. So I do this divey bar, anybody's all the time. That was, um, it was a gay bar that was over where Wesley Grove was that um, catered to predominantly men, but the bartender let the ladies in. But I mentioned <laughs> earlier that my daughter saying she was the first person to say. I was going to say Chico. So that's, I wondered if that was your we place. We don't have a jazz club. We have no jazz yeah. blues in the I, city. What is that? I love that. How By the way, possible? as... As a jazz DJ, I support this motion. I, I was a customer of Chico's until they closed. I, I enjoyed that a lot. I'm a, of course, I'm I had one of my first my... fundraisers at Chico's in like, oh. what, was it 09? Oh, one year. I, had I was there every Wednesday night. And that was when my daughter sang on the stage there. You might have heard her. But um, yeah, so Chico's. A so jazz... Chico's. Yeah. And Mike, I don't know if we asked you this on, on your, when you were on. So people are places that are now gone. Oh man. I mean, I haven't been here that long. I've, I've lived here for four years. Um, but you, kinda, did I'm, you come to like Harry's Roadhouse and, you know, we no. talked about there used to be this restaurant row, which might be before some of your times, Joel, remember it, where we called it restaurant row. It was brick wall and market in the middle on oh, really? Cookman F. I and just that market was, in that, the middle. I like that. That was restaurant row. <laughs> um, real, uh, real flashy. Now, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. I, I, I can't okay. think of anything off the top of my head. Okay. And then, so I have to say one hysterical thing about Polly. She listened to a podcast where I talked about how much Bound. Okay, there's this movie Bound that I quite literally basically dropped podcast. out. <laughs> yeah, it shows up a lot. It does. <laughs> and I spent most of college skipping class and going to see this movie. And not only did I do that, but I then rented it from like a West Coast video and didn't return it. And then it showed up on my credit report for about 10 years because I didn't pay for it. <laughs> so that's how important this movie was to my life. So anyway, uh, Polly and Michael, I believe, went and watched it. And um, so I have to give them tremendous credit for that because um, it was a movie. It was a beautiful movie before its time where the two women end up together. And it's that, a great story though. It's really suspenseful. Yeah. It's very well done. It really is. Um, so both of you favorite movies or TV series? Um, I, I could tell you right off the, oh, good. my cousin Vinny. I mean, I like, I love story. You're not the only one. Somebody else has also said that. I, I mean, it's, I love, I love princess bride. Not because of the frou-frou bridey thing, but the, my name is Inigo Montoya. You know, I, you killed my father. That, you know, like the, the acting, the actors, the cast is amazing. But my cousin Vinny and any story like big, you know, where the, the protagonist starts out a mess and ends up in, and uh, Marissa Tomei and stamping her foot and doing that whole car thing on, you know. With the, jet. the greatest car movie ever made. Yeah. So because um, of that five minute scene, you know, at the end, the best. so that it's, it's the, the underdog who, who wins in the end. Okay. Mike. Uh, I, you know, I like classic movies and, and sci-fi type stuff. So of course I would throw out like Godfather, Star Wars. That's, that's, those are kind of my jam. Um, and, and TV show right now, at least, um, the Mandalorian, which is a Star Wars show also on Disney plus is excellent. And, it's it's even if you don't like Star Wars that much, it's pretty cool. It's like sort of a Western and uh, highly recommended. 
And any podcast you guys are listening to that you would recommend? I'll tell you what. Sure. The War on Cars. I was going to say that, Polly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I'm, an, I'm putting, really, uh, so I'm really looking good. for, I'm looking for podcasts right now. Cause I've run through many of mine. You would love um, it. Honestly, these guys cool. talk that they talk about and to people you wouldn't expect. Like they talk to the car talk guy whose brother passed away, but you know, car talk on, on NPR. It was the greatest uh, podcast, the greatest show ever. I listened to that for years. So you would think that he would be a big car aficionado, you know, car promoter, but he was on the war in cars in the on their podcast. So it's not what you would expect. It's kind of a tongue in cheek, but it's really informative. And Mike podcast. Uh, so I just started listening to this random one called Chrysalis. It's about like, uh, the future AI, it's like fiction and it's good for like, you know, when you have anxiety about everything that's going on, you're like, just need to escape. So I have anxiety. You know what I just started, which I'm, I'm six years behind on, but Shit's Creek, which is hysterical. Oh, I just finished it. I, I just it. started it. Well, I'm on season so two, like good. episode two, season two. And I'm also a big fan of, um, and it, it's like executive produced by women, written by women, starring women, which is dead to me. Um, oh. which is a really good series uh, by oh, the creators, right. Liz Feldman. Um, and they're in their, they're, they're, they just finished their second season, got a ton of Emmys. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on those two. And then I'm also watching this show called Undoing with Nicole Kidman on HBO. That's kind of interesting. It's just came out. It's on. It's like Amy, can I throw a podcast recommendation out? I just started yeah. listening to um, business insider has a podcast called brought to you by, and the episode I listened to just today uh, is about how Pepsi had like these <clears throat> business deals with the Soviet Union mm. that were um, really interesting in terms of like, you know, Soviets couldn't pay for the Pepsi. So they would pay them with like warships, like Pepsi would get a submarine <laughs> worth billions of dollars and things like that. Oh, so so if we you, should if, put on the rotation podcast, Joe, because we never ask people about podcasts and we should start. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause I'm always looking for anyone also, but if you're interested in business and like stories about business that are interesting, not just like spreadsheet stuff, but like how did Pepsi become the supplier? That of, sounds a lot like um, 99% invisible. I, I swear. That. I was yeah. almost said, as if you like 99% invisible, you'll love brought to you by, you know, that's yeah. another Mike? Yeah, 99% Invisible is great. It's like, it's totally random stories about stuff that you would never know about or think about, like a variety of topics. It's really, it's, 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 it's about, it's about design and like good design yeah. is invisible. And oh, so cool. transportation pops up on this. It does. Yeah. A lot. And, um, you know, and like rainwater in Mexico city, uh, is one of their podcast, one of their episodes is one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard, you know? So it's, 99% Invisible is a great podcast. Not as good as Asbury Pod, but it's really <laughs> it's really a top-notch. Well, so I'm listening to, and again, I feel like I'm years behind on this, like Shit's Creek, but I'm listening to Serial, which is about yeah. the killing. So I'm just in that one, which a ton of people recommended. So uh, um, I usually listen to the daily, um, but, you know, I can't listen to stuff about the presidency. Anymore. No, you got to get, you got to turn Oh my God. I'm so like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. A lot of my friends in town get hooked on those murder podcasts. Like they just listen to like one. So far I am, but this is from 2014. Um, and it was, I put a Facebook post up asking people to make recommendations and I wrote down everybody's recommendation and started to go through them. And this was one that had more than one, um, recommend You know, I think two or three people had recommended it to me either on my, on Facebook or, or via text messaging. So I started. Did anybody say radio lab? 
People said Radio Lab. A, a number of people said a podcast called Love It or Leave It. L-O-V-E-T-T or Leave It. That was one that came up a couple times. Um, and The Daily. And The Daily is just, a, I, I listen to The Daily a lot. It's just had a lot about Trump. But there's two episodes of The Daily that I'm going to do a quick plug for and then I have to go. Um, but one is an episode prior to the election of, it's called Red, Wine, and Blue. And it's women in Ohio who had previously voted for Trump and had changed their vote in 2020. And listen, there's privilege to this podcast, but they do describe this evolution of how they were where they were at um, and how they got to, you know, a Democratic nomination um, in Ohio. Now, Ohio did end up going for Trump, but they didn't go for him by like two or three points in the way that they went for him in 2016. So this woman gets like mothers and all of these people together to have wine and talk about politics, uh, women who would not normally talk about politics. So I'll plug that one. That was a couple of weeks ago. And there was another amazing podcast um, called, um, I'm going to say, Who Represents Me? But it was a, it was a, a Black officer uh, describing what it's like being an officer in the age of um, George Floyd. And it was heart, heartbreaking. Um, he was also from the Midwest and describing, you know, who is who acknowledges mm -hmm. who replaced, I think the podcast is called who replaces me. And um, he was describing getting ready to retire and that he hasn't seen real, real change in terms of policing, even though he um, had spent 20 or 30 years of his life trying to create it. So that, so anyway, those are not too light podcasts. So <laughs> you shouldn't listen to them unless you, you want to do it. And Polly, can you um, give everybody the complete streets, um, uh, handles, a website and everything. And, and, and what is next for you guys? What is your next, uh, you know, initiative so people can sign up and, um, yeah. So I would love everybody to take a look at apcompletestreets.org. That's the website. And, um, on Instagram, I always forget what I, we are Asbury park complete streets on Instagram. So at Asbury park complete streets and Facebook is Asbury park complete streets coalition. So if you're on social media, you can find us there. Um, people can email me for sure. I mean, if they want to get my email, they can, I guess, contact you, Amy, or mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. We, we can put that uh, yeah, I'm happy to answer questions. And, you know, I, I personally th think that the city is really moving in the right direction and Mike is on it totally. You know, I'm not really sure where we're going to go next, but I would like to see the network of bike lanes connected and more, uh, protected bike lanes. And I know that everybody wants to see that as well. I'm not really sure if we need to re um, reevaluate the bike walk plan, maybe take a look at that updated a little bit. Mike, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think it's always something we could look at. Uh, you know, fortunately in 2021, hopefully we will start construction on Memorial drive in which case there is protected bike infrastructure planned for that. So stay tuned. Nice. Last thing before we go, Polly, when's your next slow ride? I haven't scheduled it yet. It's really kind of random. I pick a, you know, a sat it'll okay. probably be a Saturday. We do them at night during nice weather. Um, and it, when it starts to get dark earlier, because I want people to be lit up on their bikes. And by the way, we have a bike light campaign going on with uh, complete streets all the time. So anyone who needs bike lights, we hope to be able to set them to hook them up with bike lights. Um, we're also sometimes I'm, I try to sell t-shirts. We try to sell bike lights sometimes so we can buy more bike lights, but we want to see people lit up. That's the best way to say stay to, to stay safe on a bike even more than a helmet a helmet is after you get hit you want to prevent getting hit be lit up that's a really big deal so um 
I forgot the question. I got off on a tangent there. Well, those, uh, the, we'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. The next the, bike ride. I will publicize that on social media. And I also have a, an email list. So anybody who wants to give me their email, they can contact me through you and I'll put you on the list. So you'll one way or another, you'll find out about the bike ride. And, and the things that complete streets are doing. Um, again, or is it just for the bike ride? No. Well, what Asbury Park Complete Streets Coalition is constantly working on being aware. It's Doug, Pam and me, mostly Pam Lambert and Doug McQueen and myself um, being aware of what's going on in the city, what the needs seem to be, um, you know, intersections, crosswalks, calming traffic. And Mike knows we talk about this all the time, ways that we can create traffic calming build traffic calming measures in intersections with little traffic circles. So, so, you know, the, you know, the traffic calming, the slowing the cars, you know, all of those things. And it's incremental, meaning that it doesn't go quickly, but it is happening. So, you know, it's awesome. I want, I, I want to thank you only because my kid stays out while I'm doing this podcast. And I can't remember. I think I have a shade tree. You have a shade tree so, commission. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I do as well. So anyway, I want to thank Polly. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Joe. Um, Everybody.